Yeah. Yeah, you got to take That's what people don't think about when you think of trail crews. It's like you got to take care of yourself, too. Like Christian's going to be hungry as well. It's not just Carol. It's not just your you know, your mom, a.k.a. crew chief, is also gets hungry, too. <laughs> What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Christian Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Christian Morgan. The teaser that you just heard is the voice of Joe McConaughey, also known as String Bean, known uh, because he's like really tall and really light, I think like six foot three and 165 pounds. Joe's my guest on today's show and we talk about fastest known times. It's actually kind of embarrassing really because I had him on the show to talk about his Appalachian Trail, specifically uh, fastest known time because I'm going to go for the record myself next year. And I didn't realize that he just set the self-supported fastest known time on the long trail. So I didn't even really kind of ask him about that. So that's pretty bad research on my behalf. But we had a great conversation. It was just like talking to an old friend. So I think there's plenty of great stuff in there, even though I didn't ask him about the long trail. But he said he's going to come back on the show for a round two. So that will be fun. Guys, uh, this is quite a young podcast, and already I feel I've had some really great guests on here. Jeff Browning, Speed Goat Carl Meltzer, David Horton, and Michael McKnight, Sarah Cameron, and uh, even uh, Lanny Basham, who talks about mental management. So if you guys have enjoyed the previous podcasts and you like the kind of show, go ahead and subscribe to it. Also, give me a five-star rating on uh, Apple Podcasts. That would be really good. Anyone interested in finding out more about me um, and my future challenges and my uh, online run coaching services, go and check out my website. It's www.christianultra.com. And that's Christian spelt with a K, the Scandinavian way, even though I'm not Scandinavian. Well, so I think that's about all I got. Uh, you guys enjoy the show and listen to me and String Bean talk about all things running, trail, and stuff like that. Okay, so um, Joe McConaughey, welcome to the Christian Ultra Podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Christian. It's good to be here. <laughs> I'm Christian Ultra. Um, so, uh, I just got a couple of questions. How about, um, how, how old are you? Where were you born? Where did you grow up? And when did you start running? I am currently 28, turning 29 uh, next year. Um, I grew up in Seattle, Washington, which I actually just moved back to. So, I have been in Boston, Massachusetts for the last 10 years. Um, and I think this is the last question. And I started running when I was, I guess when I was in like fifth grade, they have this thing called the junior Olympics in the United States, where basically they'll take any kid who, who likes to run at the age of like 10 and whose parents can pay for them to go to run at, uh, at, you know, somewhere in the country and they'll let you qualify for the Olymp for the junior Olympics. So I ran in the junior Olympics, which sounds much more impressive than it was as a fifth grader. And that's when I kind of felt like I had this running identity starting to grow in me. Man, that sounds pretty cool. Like a nice opportunity. So the thing is you just want to be able to run and have that enthusiasm and 
if you get selected, you go? Yeah, it's like if you, you know, how many kids are playing? There's so many team sports when you're 10, especially in the US. It's like how many kids are thinking about who want to run like a 3K race around a field or around a park, right? There's not that many. So, you know, if you're, if you like running, you do have to qualify. Like they have regional qualifications, but looking okay. back yeah. on it, I was like, yeah, the regional qualifications were pretty much show up, wear a pair of shoes and get to the finish line. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty easy standards. Um, yeah. And you said you grew up in Seattle, but were you also born there as well? Yeah, born and raised in Seattle. So I was here until I was 18. I went to college at Boston College for 10 years. where I, So I ran uh, D1 track and cross country, and then I came back. Uh, just three days ago to Seattle. Um, Katie, my wife, and I moved back here. Yeah. Um, what is that? What does that mean? D1? Uh, tr Division you say one. D1 track? Oh, Division yeah, yeah, one. Yeah. Yep. So, so when you look at all we, the, yeah, yeah when you yeah, look at ahead, all the, the U.S. sports, like anything, any of the major schools you've heard of outside of the U.S., if you've heard of American colleges, um, they're all like D1 schools, which means they're sort of the largest. They have the most financial backing. Any of the national championships that you might watch or read about are D1 sports. And then D2 sports and D3 are different divisions um, within the collegiate system. Okay. And a D1 like the fastest or is it determined by financial backing and stuff? Is it it's not necessarily. Yeah. D1 is almost always the fastest and most competitive. So people okay. will typically yeah. go to D1 schools and because they have, you know, financial assistance, it's, it's like the schools like, uh, like University of Washington, Texas, um, Georgia, like any of the kind of name brand schools, they're almost all D1 schools. And so, but there's also D2 and D3 athletics. So you can play usually in less competitive fields. But when you do something like, it's funny because when you look at like a D2 or D3 runner, you know, it's not a team sport, it's all individual. So sometimes you can have very talented athletes who happen to be going to a D2 or D3 school who are way outperforming D1 athletes, but it's usually pretty rare. Okay, yeah, I get it. And so when you were, just going back to when you were 10 years old, what made you want to run? A <laughs> great question. I don't know. It was, um, I, at first it I just did any and every sport. Like I just love sports. I played basketball, soccer, baseball, football was the only sport I actually weirdly didn't play. Um, but running, I was just like, Oh, I can, you know, I'm on two basketball teams, but I also can go to cross country practice two or three times a week. And I did that. And, um, that then happened as I went to a new school. I switched school districts um, and going to this new school district, it sort of, was, I got known to be as like the runner kid. You know, you're always trying to fit in and make friends and people are like, oh, that's the kid who can run fast. So from sort of yeah. like sixth grade, I was, uh, or, or really seventh grade, I guess, um, I started to feel like I'm really good at running and people sort of start to know me for it. Um, whereas, you know, when I play basketball or baseball, I was like, a little lower in the totem pole and getting picked last for teams and, and all these things. So running sort of gave me an identity that then in, in high school, I, you know, furthered and realized I could, you know, maybe go to college or, um, with it. And, and that kind of continued to take off. Yeah. Pretty cool. I, I spoke with, um, Lewis Harvey, Lewis Sweetland. Harvey. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, he, he should, his show should come out this coming Monday and, um, 
I asked him about what, you know, he basically said that when he started running, it just gave him this, um, just this self-worth and uh, made him feel good about himself. And it seems to be a trend because that's, you know, that's how I felt. And you've just said pretty much the same thing as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I think, I think it's true. Right. And that's what I love. That's what I love about FKTs is it like, it allows you to get outside of, you know, whatever confines of a race exists and allows you to just really create your own adventure, you know? So if you, you really want to do the AT, you can choose, do I want it with a crew or without a crew? Or it's like, maybe I don't want to do the AT because I think it's cooler to do the long trail um, or, you know, a different trail, or it just allows for a lot more, a lot of creativity um, and allows for you to actually like express yourself in a certain kind of way that gives you that yeah. voice that running, you know, already gives you, which is, is just very cool. Yeah. All right. So moving on from, um, when, where you grew up and when you began running and what inspired you, I, I, it's kind of a, like a pretty vague question. And, and if you're humble, it's kind of hard to ask, but, um, Joe, you're like one of the most accomplished runners in the world. Cause you still <laughs> hold, you do, man, you still hold that unsupported, you know, northbound fastest known time on the most popular long trail in probably the world, the Appalachian trail, but in between when you started running and like now, what would you say are your most valued running or most valued accomplishments? Oh man, dude, that's a, that is a tough question. It's uh, going way back. You know, I would say I broke my, now you got me like thinking nostalgically and thinking historically, you know, people, you want to think about kind of the big moments in, uh, in life for a long time. I, so I ran a, I had two good times as a youth that made me feel really like I had value and and talent and ability as a runner where when I was in seventh grade, I ran like a four fifty two mile. And I had. Did you just this, say your age as well with the seventh grade? So, yeah, yeah, sorry. So here, yeah. Seventh grade, I would have been like 13 or so, cool. um, 12, or, uh, 12 or 13. No, sorry, it would have been eighth grade. So I would have been probably 13 or 14. And I ran a uh, 452 mile. So I PR'd by 12 seconds in the mile. I broke five and I beat my like arch rival which sounds like the old glory days, but uh, you know, back when I was in eighth grade, that was sort of like, that was the moment that I was like, man, I'm going to like, I started reading Steve Prefontaine's book. I started thinking I'm going to break four minutes in the mile. I started really thinking like, if I do well, I can go to college. You know, I'm like a, I started to think of myself just as a really good runner. And so that weirdly, you know, I have the Pacific Crest trail record. I have the Appalachian uh, trail record. I just broke the long trail. Um, but sort of my identity as a runner really started, uh, in, in that moment after a few building years, um, that helped make me feel really confident as, you know, a teenager that's just helped me consistently run, you know, since I was, since I've been 11 or 12. Um, and you, the said, PCT- you said two races, two races. Yeah. So that was one. What was the other one? The other one was my state cross country meet. Um, I broke my school record, and at the same time, I uh, missed out on qualifying for the finals for our state finals by about point, I think, oh five seconds or something. Oh, so, so close! I know. So I missed qualifying, but it was one of those moments that you just—it was another inflection point for me, where you know, breaking my school record was just this big 
cool thing that, you know, as a 17 year old, you're like, is that even like, that just seems like a pretty cool thing to do. And then, uh, at the race, it also, that's probably the most upset I've ever been after a race. Um, you know, I had this tantrum as a 17 year old and I'm my coach, I'm sure was just like, Oh no, this is a nightmare. <laughs> I really wanted to qualify for finals. And it's like, can't you just appreciate, you know, that you, you broke a school record and it's like, no, I can't, I need to go storm off and I'm not going to talk to anyone for the next day because I didn't qualify. Um, so that was, you know, this big race of, of part success and part failure that I think has been very healthy, you know, doing FKTs and doing the Pacific Crest Trail and the Appalachian Trail uh, and the, now the long trails, you just have to be okay with whatever happens, you know, like you give it your yeah. best effort, you go all out and you need to learn how to celebrate your failures. And, uh, and that's a skill to gain, right. That I think most people don't have. And especially with FKTs, like, you know, I was going for the unsupported record on the long trail that I just finished about a week ago. Okay. And I yeah. I accepted water from a hiker on trail, which oh, takes me from no. unsupported to self-supported. And I didn't even think about it at the time. And I literally half a liter of water, right, in five days. And now my record goes from unsupported to self-supported. And so I was kind of like, for a day, once I realized that, I was like, you got to be, I was so upset. But at the same time, I was like, you know what? I have the self-supported record. I finished. I'm healthy. I had an amazing experience. Like the long trail just was so cool. And, uh, and, you know, I think some of that learning comes back from not qualifying from that state race as a 17 year old, where you just accept the cards for where they fall. And ultimately you have to be really proud of what you've been able to accomplish. So you probably, uh, yeah, I don't want to psychoanalyze you or anything, but it sounds like you learned a lot from that. Well, success, but little failure, that small missing <laughs> of the, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean right. at the time I would have said it's a huge failure, right? I was, uh, but yeah, <laughs> oh, at the you, time, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, Still, yeah, you, know, you, you from start... your coach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think psychoanalyzing is great. Right. Cause then, you know, I think that of course I, I can't not mention the Pacific crest trail and the Appalachian trail with those, you know, the PCT taught me that I can do whatever, that I can do these crazy long events and the powers of human endurance. And then the Appalachian trail taught me, you know, that I can be self-reliant and still, do these cool, crazy, amazing events and that you can combine traditional backpacking with running in a way that's, that's really fun and, and energizing for me. Let me just step in there and ask you about, and you've probably been asked this a thousand times, so you're really good at answering it, I'm sure. Can you define supported, self-supported and unsupported and say which was which? Yeah, totally. So yeah. We'll start with unsupported. So unsupported is like the purest view. So it's three different records for fastest known times. Um, unsupported means you carry in every single thing that you're planning on using other than water. So you're the only things that you're relying on for the trail is, uh, has nothing to do with, is entirely to do with what's in your, in your control. And you can't interact with the community around you. You can only interact with, like you can get water from trail, but you can't get anything else. So, you know, you carry everything on your back. Uh, it's the hardest way to do something. You can't really do trails that are more than like eight or nine days long because you just can't carry that much food. Yeah. Um, Self-supported is uh, sort of defined as, uh, it starts to get a little gray here and some people get confused, but self-supported is, carrying all your own gear and being self-reliant 
um, but you can use resources and uh, supplies that are provided to anybody experiencing the trail. So if you're you know, running the Appalachian Trail and you see a little, you get off trail and you see a little roadside restaurant, you can buy a sandwich, right? You can go to the store and get a, re and get a resupply of, uh, like a gear resupply that you've mailed to yourself. Um, if you're on trail like myself on the long trail and somebody offers you batteries or snacks um, that they would offer to any through hiker, you can, you can take those. Um, okay. Whereas supported means, you know, anything and everything goes, you can have a full crew. You can, you know, you might be sleeping in a camper van. You might be, uh, you know, having someone set up your tent or, um, prepare your food for you or giving you like a massage mid trail. Um, so supported allows for any sort of like a NASCAR driver's approach to, uh, to a trail. Yeah. And you, uh, did supported on the PC, the Pacific Crest Trail, and then self-supported on the Appalachian Trail. Exactly. Yep. And was aiming at pretty much besides half a liter of water unsupported on the long trail. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> but uh, right. didn't quite make that one work. <laughs> Sounds like another life lesson there. Um, <laughs> exactly. 20 years, 20 years exactly. time, you'll be looking back telling that story. Thank you yourself <laughs> for it. <laughs> All right, let's let's jump into the AT um, Appalachian Trail. AT stands for Appalachian Trail. So, where did you first get the idea to attempt the self-supported fastest known time, and who had the record at the time? Yeah, when I was um, looking at the, you know, you immediately finish uh, a, a long trail like this, and the first question people want to know is like, so what's next? It's like, calm down. I, I just, I'm recovering. I'm not going to think about this next, but, um, I will admit while I was on the PCT, this is in 2014 or the Pacific crest trail. I, um, I had this little inkling that I was like, I'm never going to do this again. I was 23, 22 at the time. So, you know, I was really young and I sort of viewed it as this life accomplishment. And I was also raising money in, in memory of my cousin who'd passed away from cancer um neuroblastoma so we i was kind of like this is a one-time event that i'm never doing again and uh sure enough you know in the back of my mind i was also thinking i'm never going to do this again but if i were i would want to do the appalachian trail and i'd want to do it self-supported um so having done the trail um self-supported i or having done the pacific crest trail supported i knew that maybe i can do this self-supported but faster and that's sort of my big internal drive is i always am like well i see i saw how scott jurek did it but i think you can actually go faster because of x y and z so um it wasn't until about um late 2016 when my boss asked me um because you know i have had a full-time job asked me like what did i want for professional development when i told her i actually want to go run the appalachian trail um, that was the moment about eight months before I started the AT that it became very real for me where I said, oh my God, I'm professionally taking this risk to like leave work for two months to try the Appalachian Trail. I'm like my girlfriend or Katie at the time, uh, girlfriend at the time, we're like, we're doing this. And I just started planning hardcore about eight months out knowing that I wanted to do it self-supported and that, you know, the AT was sort of the other crown jewel of uh of long distance trails um for fkts yeah. and, and who was the um current self-supported record holder yeah that's kind of a tricky one um because 
of this guy named Knotts. Um, he uh, he'd actually taken uh, he'd done the trail. I forget how much how much time it was before me. He'd only done it. He'd finished the same year as me, but he finished maybe like a month and a half before I started. So I kind of knew he had set the new record. Previous to that, it was uh, Heather Anderson who had done it in 54 days. And then Knotts did it in 53 days. He barely beat her record. But he, there were some question marks because he apparently had given his credit card to another through hiker. And it was kind of clear that maybe he'd actually been more He'd done it self-supported, but he used some resources to make it a supported attempt and wasn't clear with that and never really communicated that to people. So there's some question marks around his attempt. Um, but yeah, he did it in 53 days and 22 hours. And I ended up doing the self-supported record in 45 days and 12 hours, which also uh, ended up just sneaking under Scott Jurek's time um, and Carl Meltzer's time. Um, which Carl went uh, 45 days and 22 hours. And so your time was the fastest self-supported, but also the fastest overall time for anyone to complete the Appalachian Trail. It was until Carl came along. But yeah, um, <laughs> it, w- it was pretty cool. You know, I was, I was 48 hours out uh, before I would eclipse um, Meltzer's time and just was like, I have 48 hours to cover... 108 miles and let's see if I can get it done and ended up doing that in about 37 hours to to you know become the the fastest fastest person ever to do the AT yeah that's I mean that's just outstandingly impressive there's not really words for (laughs) it really um (laughs) you know I, I I your name came up a lot I paced with Carol for 15 days and um you know we didn't speak a lot but uh when we did um it was quite cool conversation and i think carol <laughs> would say joe mcconaughey that's something else that's you know <laughs> joe, joe is a beast he's like by himself I, and he just always said how much he respected uh, your your um, record anyway so well he ended um, up blow, blowing me out of the water so uh so he did it right <laughs> yeah he, he did pretty good um all right, so you said you prepared for eight months. And now what, what did your physical preparation look like in that eight months? Yeah, so I had like a big shakeout trip. So, um, you know, gear is super important. So I hadn't, to be honest, I'd done a lot of backpacking, but I hadn't done any real like long, fast packing type things like this. So I wasn't totally sure what to expect, but I did a lot of research on gear on what other people had done and sort of had put this kit together with like a mountain laurel designs bivy a poncho tarp uh, a planta backpack you know so i was carrying a base weight of like seven pounds so that was a lot of uh, a lot of my preparation but physically um i had been a you know pretty competitive ultra marathon runner and i just kind of went into hyperdrive to some extent i honestly didn't train as hard as you might expect um you know i was doing I had been doing probably 60 to 70 mile weeks up to that point. And I think I only really got, I think I touched a hundred only like one or two times and typically was in like the eighties. Um, but I was doing doubles and triples and all my runs were into work with a backpack. So 
Um, cause I ran, I run commute every single day. So I'd run, you know, five miles into work, five miles back from work. And then sometimes I just add on to that on either end. So I was always carrying, you know, three to six pounds of weight on my back. Um, and, so, uh, so those like were, they were flat miles then you didn't do much elevation. I didn't do much elevation, which is kind of crazy. I did, I, you know, I, on the weekends, I do like a big trail run on yeah. some pretty nasty, uh, uh, local trails, but yeah, the majority of my miles were flat river miles. Um, which is hilarious to just think that you can do something like that and it'll all work out. <laughs> How about, um, strength preparation? Did you do any, I, uh, strength training? Yeah, I, I lifted about twice a week. So I did a bunch of stuff for, uh, like I have pretty tight hips and I spent a lot of time working on my hip strength, uh, on my you know, quads, glutes. Um, so I would do that twice a week. Again, never, more the, I'm kind of in the philosophy of, of low weight, high rep sort of stuff. So it was never really intense lifting, but it was just kind of continuous lifting and, uh, lifting and strengthening of some of those kind of core power muscles you need for, for the mountains. Yeah. I actually, Carol Sabay, I asked him and uh, he said he went, that same way he didn't lift heavy weights he did like light weights but high reps i think he told me he'd do like a hundred leg presses and there'd be people staring at him in the gym saying when's this guy's gonna get off <laughs> you know that's so amazing pretty funny i was wondering if he got that from you but i don't know um, yeah i don't think he did i don't think we've talked about because we've talked quite a bit quite a bit but i don't think we talked about um strength. i don't think we talked about strength no so you spoke about gear and um, how about your strategy going in? Did you think I'm going to run as far as I can in a set amount of time? Or did you have like stages where you knew you wanted to stop at the end of the day? No, I very much took the approach of like health is key, right? Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to maintain my health for as long as I can, because that's what's going to keep me going. So I, especially starting out, like my first day, I did like a 41 mile, day, maybe 43 mile day, I forget which one, but like, a you know, well below my average, and in like 13 hours, and was like, I'm going to eat a big dinner, and I'm going to sleep for eight hours tonight. <laughs> and, and I did. And I did that for the first, you know, two or three or four days before I really started to get into through hiker power mode where I started, you know, going up into the fifties, but I intentionally tried to keep my mileage low and tried to really restrict my trail time so that I was never going more than like 17 hours, um, on, on time on feet at any one, one point in time. So, you know, I was always getting five, at least probably five hours of sleep except towards the end. Um, and I also started to notice if on the second half of the trail, if I went more than 16 hours i'd start to run risk of getting injuries of having i had this knee thing that popped up a few times so if i push myself i'd actually start to i you know pay for it later yeah so at the end of the day actually also did you have like a morning routine and did that change as you went did you get quicker as time went by with your morning and evening routines yeah i got um when i first started i was much you know i slept mostly in shelters i was uh probably a bit slower and then as time went on i just you know became more and more like clockwork i'd 
you know, find campsites that were much closer to the trail. I had much lower standards for campsites. I would start to push into night a little bit more. So I just want to get set up. Um, and I started also to really fine tune my process. Like I can actually pretty distinctly remember this where, you know, towards the end of the trip, I'd literally get into camp. I would find a spot that was close to a rock or a tree where I could put my legs up for 30 minutes and eat. So I'd get into camp, immediately set up my stuff, put my legs up for 30 minutes, eat as much as I could, rearrange some things, eat as much as I could, and then go to bed. So it would be like a 40, 45 to an hour, hour long, uh, where I'd just like shovel calories. I'd, you know, put my feet up for 10 to 15 minutes to help try to, to get some swelling out of them. Um, yeah take care of my basics and then, and then hit the hay as soon as I could. And you said you had a top. Um, how about your, so a top's just like a, a, what it's just, yeah, it's an open shelter, isn't it? Yeah. So I had like a bivy, which is essentially just to keep me a little bit warmer and to protect me from bugs. So I had a bivy and then I had a poncho tarp. So it doubled as my rain protection. And then I could sh put it out as a, like a sheet to cover me in rain, which doesn't perform that well as far as, rain protection but it got me it got the job done you could say um so, and then on top of that i had like a z pad so like a foldable foam pad and a sleeping quilt yeah okay um and how was the sleep did you find that you were able to like just fall asleep it was pretty good except i had this issue i fell a few times uh like i don't know if you because how, how far did you get again christian when you did the at uh, not very far. It was, it was a terrible, amazing learning experience. <laughs> I was, I was on, I was level to where um, Kara was. I think it was up to day two thirds of day four. Yeah. And then, then it kind of went really bad. And by day ten, one of my crew flew home. So yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I. But I've done half the trail in total with wrecking and running with Carol. Yeah. So the, um, so you, you've definitely probably seen this or experienced it where there's just like some log or stick or root that you is totally unassuming and you slip on it and you immediately go sideways and then fall down. I did that a few times where I landed on my hip. I kept landing on my oh. right hip. Oh no. So I actually would have this thing where I, uh, I was, if I would roll over onto my side in the middle of the night, I woke up like screaming two or three times. Uh, because I would just, I'd be fine immediately rolling on it, but like I would be asleep and then not really process it and then just wake up in extreme pain. Uh, so that was actually, that's the only thing that really stopped me from sleeping. But usually I was out like a, like a baby, but definitely that hip thing caused me to try to only sleep on my back. And I have a really hard time only sleeping on my back. So, um, yeah. there were a few periods here and there where I had a hard time finding sleep, but normally you know, I was pretty exhausted. And I know I asked you this, out, but it'd be cool for the listeners to hear. What did you do about, um, like, where did you put your food because of bears and stuff? Yeah, I slept with it. Um, so I always, oh, I, at shelters, this is kind of funny. So um, with me and this guy I like to work with, we call them mini bears. Uh, so anything that will eat your food, uh, mostly, especially on the AT, there's a lot of like shelter mice. So shelters, you know, you can crash there, but they'll like literally, I've had mice like crawl over my stomach and I've had them like come sniff right next to my face. And I was even sleeping on some food and they chewed a hole 
in my uh, in my bag while I was sleeping on it. Um, so basically, I would always hang my food in shelters, or usually hang my food in shelters to keep them away from mini bears like mice. Um, and then when I would, but if I wasn't in a shelter, I'd always sleep directly on my food, which is, you know, definitely not a uh, not a recommended by the National Park Service way of of caring for food. But uh, but it was yeah. you know because I was sleeping so little, it was what I did. <laughs> Yeah, but they might not recommend to to do the trail in like under um, fifty days. You know, that's also probably true. Yeah, that's also probably <laughs> so, true. So you know, you, the pros and the cons. Um, and what did you? Were you not scared? Because I, I think when I was out on the trail, I didn't even I wasn't sleeping with food, but I might just be in the dark, and that was scary enough. I mean, yeah. weren't you scared of like when you're going to sleep of bears or anything? Well, so bears are the biggest thing to worry about, but we're lucky that we have black bears. Black bears are relatively skittish and scared. And the only issues that people have with black bears are when they get really accustomed to food and human food. So in some place like the Smokies, they might be more likely to, you know, come in on someone's tent. I did have a few run-ins with bears. The time where I was actually most freaked out, I think I saw like 16 bears through the whole AT. Um, and I was running. You can always tell a bear, since bears are like the largest predator in a forest, they don't care about being quiet in the same way that most other animals do. So usually when you hear a really loud, weird sound, it's like, there's a good chance a bear made that sound. So I heard some ripping and I was like, that sounds almost exactly like a bear. And so I look around and then I like, and I, this bear pops out and I'm in the green tunnel, right? So they're like, yeah. I can't see anything. This bear just pops out and runs across the trail about 10 feet in front of me and I get my trekking poles out and I'm like in this ninja pose I'm like if it comes at me I'm jabbing it I'm gonna take it out and then I realize it's just like this cute little cub it probably is only like two feet tall and my yeah. heart starts and I'm like okay whew, like good this is just a baby it like ran away it's not gonna come get me and uh and I take two steps forward and then I think about it I'm like wait if there's a cub then there's probably and then the mama bear runs across oh. the trail 10 feet in front of me and that's when my heart really jumped out of my chest because you know that's when that's when you get into troubles with bears if you get in between the mama bear and the cub so i'm glad it didn't take me as a threat and just uh and just ran away but for a little bit i was definitely freaked out mm. going back to your your induction into the Appalachian Trail, how long was it or how many days was it before you actually started to feel strong? You know, you got your trail legs. Yeah, I, the first two days, the first four days were kind of rough, mostly because I had a few issues that weren't necessarily trail legs related. Like I had, I started out and I had, um, uh, I started out and I rolled my ankle like five times in the first two days Ooh. and it was just like really jarring. And one of them, I actually, I felt like I rolled it really badly and I kind of was nervous about it. Uh, yeah. And so my ankles were a little, it wasn't too bad, but it just more kind of like made me really nervous. And then on the flip side, I also had really bad crotch chafing. So on like day three, I just had almost unbearable crotch chafing and that, eventually healed. Um, and once those two things kind of went away, I, you know, started cranking out 50 miles days, like it was nobody's business and started feeling a bit more, uh, a bit more like I had my trail legs under me and like I was ready to ready to rock. 
in a way that the first few days just took some adjusting. Yeah. Yeah. I had, um, uh, crotch chafing and yeah. it's like the worst, it's the most <laughs> debilitating thing in the world. It's so oh bad. My God, it's terrible. I just feel, and it's, oh, yeah, there's some dark times. <laughs> yeah. Pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can imagine what you went through. Too. <laughs> <laughs> How many, I actually stopped and I asked a, uh, there was this old guy, I think he was through hiking. I said, have you got any plasters? I'm bleeding. <laughs> I'm in pain. Are you kidding? You're bleeding? Yeah. I, I mean, Dude. well, not bleeding, but you know, when your skin goes pink, it's just, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah like, okay. Time for a plaster. Oh yeah. my God. Did you get yeah, it figured out or did you just have to? Yeah. So I ended up it. because I was supported. Um, I got my, uh, my, so my crew chief, what a great name. My mother, in other words, yeah. <laughs> went to uh, <laughs> crew chief. She went to Walmart and bought me some men's uh, underwear and I cut the inner lining out of the shorts. Yeah. And that just did the job. It The inner lining of the shorts weren't working for me. Oh. So that's what, that's what figured it out. That was the issue. Then it, then it went away. Glad you figured it out. Thank God for Walmart and underwear, huh? Yeah, yeah, definitely. A savior for sure. <laughs> Sponsored by Walmart. Trail name Walmart. Trail name Walmart. That would be a great trail name. Oh, oh man. Um, about your logistics, uh, how many parcels did you post yourself? Oh, it was, I want to say 12. Yeah, I think it was right around 12. So I had 12 okay, and, nail drops that I that I picked up from different places. And 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 because you're self-supported, you have to go from the trail um, by your own means to the post office, collect the, the 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 mail drop and then come back. What was the were they all relatively close or was there one or two which were a bit further out that you had to do a bit of a trek to? Yeah, they were all relatively close, which was nice. There was nothing that was more than, I think, I think the longest one I had was the hiker hut in Maine, which was like a little less than a mile off trail. So believe it or not, you can, yeah, you can get, you can get, that's part of the reason why I wanted to do the AT self-supported because I was like, if you really get your shit together, you can figure out a way to do these mail drops that are somewhat reasonable because you can also like the best way to do a mail drop is to send them to a business because the US post offices have very limited hours of operation and the yeah. businesses also have limited hours of operation. Like I showed up at the Bear Den Hostel in Virginia, which is right off trail and I show up and it's like 10 o'clock and they don't open until 1 p.m. Oh, three hours. So I just was like, well, I guess I'm hanging out here until like I can find someone who can give me my mail drop. And so I ended up waiting a few hours and got a quick nap in and was just like, this feels so dumb that this is what I'm spending my time doing, but I obviously can't go forward. So the harder thing logistically for me was timing. I ran into that issue a few times um, where I needed, you know, needed to get my resupply box, but I didn't quite hit their hours of operation correctly. Yeah. When I went to the bear den with uh, Carol and Joe, yeah. um, it, I think it was $20 for a bed, a pizza, a soda and a Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> I love oh my that. God. Yeah, dude, that's the place. That is one of the classic through hiker, uh, through hiker stops. Yeah. And you got to finish the Ben and Jerry's. That's like the rite of passage. I think I had a American dream. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> oh, Did man. you eat, you ate everything? 
Yeah, I mean, I, oh, that's when I was amazing. With, yeah, because I was doing, I think, about 35 miles with Carol. Yeah. Myself. So I was hungry as well. <laughs> I yeah. was really hungry. Yeah, you got to take That's what people don't think about when you think of trail crews. It's like, you got to take care of yourself too. Like, Christian's going to be hungry as well. It's not just Carol. It's not just your, you know, your mom, aka crew chief, is also gets hungry too. Yeah, I, actually, I think that night, uh, Carol, we all ate all our pizzas and everything. And Joe, I think Joe finished his Ben and Jerry's too. But that's a that's a great place to go, you know. To just, uh, I really have nostalgia for that place. Yeah, it's cool. See, this is my experience because I no one else was there. I went to that. You know what the hiker box is? Have you seen hiker boxes? Uh, yeah, I just struck my memory. Yeah, basically, it's like where all like through hikers are notorious for buying really cheap terrible food that they'll like maybe Sorry, try to I, eat and then they'll, yeah. and then like half the time people are like, like wait i don't do not want to eat this food so they'll put it in the hiker box for future hikers if they want to take the food sometimes people will leave actual nice things like uh like gels or not je drinking gels but like antibiotic cream and stuff like that mm. but uh, usually it's just like junk food so there's this um pasta like terrible mixed pasta thing that i basically just cold soaked and ate uh pretty al dente pretty much i didn't even know if crunchy. i could use the word al dente yeah <laughs> crunchy it's not al dente it's crunchy um with this like cheap flavor packet that you throw on so i that's what i ate instead of a pizza and a uh and the ice cream <laughs> yeah well you you had a record to break man and you did well because you still got it so it was worth not having a it. pizza for no <laughs> That gives me a little, um, a little consolation. Uh, so what I did want to also ask you was how long was it before you started passing through hikers and what, did you have any feelings of, I wish I was hiking or were you cool with just running by? Yeah, I, you know, it's, that's the biggest thing you miss out on. That's like why people do something like the AT. It's because there's just this awesome through hiking culture and community. Of course, I knew I wasn't getting into that, but I always made the effort to try to stop and talk with anyone I met. You know, I was kind of like record whatever, like I want to at least get to know the people who are doing this and feel like I'm part of that culture. It's like they call it the through hiker class. So like the AT class of, you know, 2020. And I didn't kind of want to be, I didn't want to be that guy who just like was like, sorry, I have a record to break by, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, one of the funniest comments I got from a through hiker uh was i stopped at this it was towards the end and towards the end some people started to pick up that i was doing the speed record on it and they were like oh like we're talking a little bit talking for a few minutes and then i was like all right guys like i gotta i gotta keep going and one of them just yelled at me i don't know if you've heard this term but he just yelled uh miles over smiles because usually oh, with through hikers yeah usually <laughs> what through hikers will say is smiles over miles or they'll be like yeah just chill out just have a good time and don't worry about covering miles. And then he was poking a little bit of fun at me uh, for, for getting off and running on down the trail. <laughs> oh man, that sucks. Did it float around in your head for a couple of hours or were you good with it? You're okay. No, he said it, he said it in a way that was a little more, uh, a little more in jest than, than how oh, I just okay. proposed yeah. it. Yeah. So he was, we definitely both laughed about <laughs> it at the time. And, and uh, I, I honestly thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. I, well, I was the same when I was on the trail. I saw a through hiker. I started walking and talking to them, and it's just really nice, you know, not yeah. to just run by and not say anything. I'm a, it just I'm feels a, like really inhumane, you know. Like if you if you were to do that, it's just like, am I that much of a jerk that I don't don't want to connect with people? It's like, no, that's part of should be part of the experience. 
but yeah um how aware were you of what state you were in and which state seemed to just never end? Yeah, Virginia, Virginia and Pennsylvania, for sure. And Maine, Maine kept going. Those three states got me. Um, Cause Virginia is just super long. I forget the distance, but it's like 800 or a thousand miles, which is, you know, almost a third of it, about a third of the trail. So Virginia, especially after hitting some quicker states, uh, you're just kind of like, this just, keeps like i'm still in virginia like whenever i think back to i'm like oh what state was x y or z and i was like 80 percent of the time i can be like oh no it was virginia um then uh pennsylvania got me because it's pretty flat and pretty you can move pretty quick on it but it has you know everyone says that pennsylvania has all the rocks and uh and it goes on pretty long and then maine got me because i was sort of injured and i just was like i couldn't believe how slow i was moving especially Southern Maine is pretty technically challenging. So, you know, you get done with Vermont and New Hampshire and you think you've hit all the big mountains and then Maine has a special surprise left for you. Um, so I just was kind of like, you know, towards the end I was injured and I was struggling and I was like, man, I just need to get to the finish line, uh, which, you know, continued to just, I just crawl, you know, crawling pace to get there. Um, so those three were a little mentally challenging for me. Yeah. Well, hey, listen, I know um, I know our time's limited because you've got another appointment. Uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe you could come back and we could carry on our chat because one hour to talk about a 40-day journey is pretty compact. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, we could have part two. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool, man. Part two, and, and we could include more jokes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> more jokes the, the better. <laughs> yep, <laughs> that is the fun bit. Hey, Joe, uh, before you go, there's people listening. I think my mom and dad and my sister. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think there may be some more. But um, do you want to, like, shout out? Like, do you want to – what are you doing? Like, uh, do you want to give some um, – do you want to plug anything? Like, your, do you do any coaching or anything? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I do ultra coaching, um, which you can find at the stringbean.co.co. Um, so I do ultra coaching, uh, and also if you want to check me out on Instagram, it's the string bean, um, which is where I usually kind of post on my adventures as well as my, my blog, which is the website I just referenced. Um, I've been trying to start producing a lot more content and, and writing a bit more about what I'm doing since I recently transitioned from a full-time gig. Um, but now that I'm in Seattle, I'm, I'm, uh, trying to make it as a coach and, uh, also working with, with this guy, Andrew Skirka doing, uh, guided backpacking trips which has been fun so it's been a new new adventures yeah. for me professionally uh which has been that's exciting. exciting yeah 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 cool. Re really cool and um and so you've got coaching clients all over it's uh, is it remote coaching they can catch up yeah, with you anywhere remote in the world coaching i just started working with a canadian i have a guy in the dominican republic in spain and a fair amount of americans of course um and yeah, I coach a lot of ultra runners and then a handful of fast packers, which is fun. Um, I'm coaching a girl who's going after the Colorado trail record this year, which is, which has been really fun to work with. Oh yeah. Uh, Carol was going to go for that. Um, yeah, but, I know, but yeah, but COVID, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he'll get over this, you know, when he can. And yeah, um, that, that's something else, isn't it? You're at altitude. Well, you know, um, stay on after i say goodbye to the the listeners and um i appreciate you to 
come on to the Christian Ultra Show or podcast. Of course, man. <laughs> and um, no, I, I, I'll press end after that. Thanks, thanks for giving me the time. That was nice. And and I do, I think, have a few more listeners than my mom and dad and sister. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet man. Well, good to be here, Christian. And thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's uh, let's try and do that part too. That'd be good. And maybe we could chat about the PCT. You got so much to talk about. You, you know. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot, man. We can dive deep. We can dive deep. Yeah, we'll Long do a part trail. two. Yeah. Okay, let's do it. All right. Um, you have a great day. Thanks. You too, man. All right. Bye. And there it is, my conversation with Joe McConaughey. What a great guy. I thought he was really inspiring and interesting. And I hope you guys enjoyed listening to me and Joe talk as much as I enjoyed the conversation myself. So next week on the show, I don't know who's on, but I'll find a guest. Anyone with any recommendations, maybe send me an email at christianultra at gmail.com, Christian spelt with a K. Uh, go ahead and follow my social media. You can find me, I don't really use Twitter that much, but I do use Instagram, I'd say mostly, and that's Christian Ultra. Um, go and check out my, as I said in the introduction of this podcast, go and check out my website, find out about my online run coaching. I use that as a way to fund myself and earn some money, which is good. I like it. I like working with people. It's fun. I always get excited about people's goals pretty much as much as they do. And I like working um, towards those goals with people. So go and check out my website. Again, www.christianultra.com pretty much everything to do with me is christian ultra spelled with a k and so thanks so much guys for listening go ahead and subscribe go ahead and give me a five star rating and just have a great rest of your day or rest of your night whether you're running and i will be back next week on monday and i'll have a guest with me take care guys bye bye